This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from comedian Lee Camp, Mumia Abu-Jamal, Counterspin, The Jimmy Dore Show, Countdown with Keith Olbermann, The Progressive, The Young Turks, Jim Hightower, and Michael Moore with a bonus clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from the Tom Hartman program. I'm Lee Champ, and this is your moment of clarity. The New York Times, the highly respected New York Times, did a great article yesterday about Occupy Wall Street. The entire report revolved around how Occupy Wall Street is a big pain in the ass to the area's public bathrooms. Now, there's two things you need to know about the last sentence I just said. A, I'm not kidding. B, the double entendre was unintended. There will be several more of those in the following three minutes, and all of them are unattended except for seven. The New York Times, which is a so-called liberal media outlet, is more concerned about the harm done to the public restrooms than they are with the harm done to the American people by corporations and Wall Street titans who make Charlie Sheen's moral compass look like that of Harriet Tubman. As billionaires continue to shit all over this country like it's a bathroom near Occupy Wall Street, the media is more worried about the bathrooms near Occupy Wall Street. Wall Street? Are you fucking serious? Get your head out of your ass and maybe you'll be able to better see your priorities. This world is a shitstorm of greed that desperately needs mopping up. We're talking about people's homes, people's lives, people's dreams, and the media wants to make it about the discomfort of millionaires who live around Liberty Square. The article said mothers have trouble getting strollers around police barricades. God forbid the revolution should get in the way of your evening stroll with Pookie Woo. This may not be a revolution in the traditional sense, but this is a revolution of thought. Americans are tired of greed over good, profitable pollution over people, war for wealth over the welfare of average workers. This is a thought revolution, and the revolution will not be sanitized. It will be criticized, ridiculed, intentionally misconstrued, and misunderstood, but it'll push through. Shit all over it all you want, but the floodgates are open now. The revolution will not be tidy. The revolution will not fit with your Pilates schedule. The revolution will not be quiet after 10 p.m. And it will not fit easily into a mainstream media-defined paradigm. The revolution will affect your bottom line. The revolution will affect you whether you ignore it or not. The revolution will not be dissuaded by barricades or pepper spray, driving rain, police rage, or ankle sprains. It's like the Postal Service on steroids, pepper spraying up. Is like throwing water on gremlins. The more you do it, the more of us show up. The revolution will be annoying to the top 1% and those who aren't open-minded enough to understand it. The revolution does not care if you satirize it. You still won't be able to jeopardize it. The revolution will not wait until after your hair appointment, your dinner party, tummy tuck, or titty tilt. The revolution doesn't care about your lack of intellectual curiosity. The revolution will not be televised but it will be digitized and available on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere real ideas are told. The revolution will not be hijacked by your old, tired, rejected political beliefs. 
The revolution will make politicians squirm, bankers bitch, elites moan, and those with Stockholm Syndrome scream, hippie punk criminal assholes, shut up and do what our captors told you. There's a sitcom on about a chubby guy who hates his wife, and we're supposed to watch it. Now fall in line. The revolution will not be monetized, commercialized, circumcised, or anesthetized. Good God, don't you get it? Greed is no longer good, and it's not God. The thought revolution is here to stay, whether you give two shits about it or not. The revolution would, however, like to apologize for shitting all over your apathy. Now pick a side. occupation. In lower Manhattan's Zuccotti Park, the cast of thousands swell in rebellion against the betrayals by the banks, Wall Street's relentless greed, the plague of joblessness, and the craven servility of the political class, both Republicans and Democrats, to their money masters. In short, the central focus of their protest is capitalism, greed writ large, especially since the economic tumble of fall 2008. Begun mostly by unemployed youth, it has drawn the presence and support of public workers, urban youth, students, teachers, and a considerable number of gray hairs. That's because social discontent is so widespread that it is spreading like wildfire. Wall Street, and then days later, Boston, Baltimore, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and beyond. Demonstrations springing up like mushrooms after a storm, in protest, to the crony capitalism brought to us by the professional sellouts called politicians. And speaking of, like vampires at a blood bank, politicians are descending on Wall Street to try to suck the life out of a movement that could threaten their monopoly on power. For politicians, only interest in this protest is to exploit it, to weaken it, while they continue to serve the very bosses the protesters oppose. You can count the number of politicians who truly oppose Wall Street on one hand and still have a few fingers left. Perhaps America's greatest white revolutionary abolitionist, John Brown, had little regard for politicians. He told his family, quote, a professional politician you never could trust, for even if he had convictions, he was always ready to sacrifice his principles for his advantage, unquote. Think about that. Now think about every politician you know. This is people's power, sparked in part by the mass protests in Cairo and Wisconsin. Other sparks were the Troy Davis injustice, the assault on several demonstrators by New York cops, the repression on the poor and working class by the political class, and discontent with the long-wasted years at wars abroad. This is people's power. May it remain so. From death row, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. But sparks are flying and fires will light. Those blazing bonfires gonna burn 
deny Now you think that it's still early But it's late afternoon If you want to turn a new leaf Make it soon One more time Now you think that it's still early But it's late afternoon If you want to turn a new leaf Make it soon very good. Time is a fragile little thing. Is Glenn Beck working for Reuters now? That question occurred to us while reading the news service's October 13th story, Who's Behind the Wall Street Protests? Reporters Mark Egan and Michelle Nichols suggest the protests have benefited from the largesse of one of the world's richest men, writing, quote, one name that keeps coming up is investor George Soros, who in September debuted in the top 10 list of wealthiest Americans. Conservative critics contend the movement is a Trojan horse for a secret Soros agenda. Close quote. Then there's the smoking gun. Quote, Soros and the protesters deny any connection, but Reuters did find indirect financial links between Soros and Adbusters, an anti-capitalist group in Canada which started the protests. Close quote. Reuters eventually gets to the heart of the critique, and sure enough, it involves the Tide Center, another Glenn Beck obsession. To make a non-story short, according to Reuters, Soros' Open Society Foundation contributed $3.5 million between 2007 and 2009 to the Tide Center, a San Francisco foundation that distributes contributions to liberal nonprofit groups. And this is the payoff, quote, Disclosure documents also show Tides, which declined comment, gave Adbusters grants of 185000 from 2001 to 2010, including nearly $26,000 between 2007 and 2009. Close quote. So Tides has received money from Soros and also given a small amount to Adbusters over several years. And Adbusters, which has no presence in the Occupy Wall Street movement, did call for Wall Street protests in an article over the summer. Therefore, George Soros is behind the Wall Street protests. The piece was so flimsy it was attacked by other journalists, including Reuters' own Felix Salmon, who called it ridiculous. Following criticisms, the wire service changed the headline to read, Soros, not a funder of Wall Street protests. But no real retraction or correction has been forthcoming. I'm gonna run, screaming away from you as fast as I can. You're crazy! The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. You know, it used to be that conservatives were people who were just freaked out by change. Middle-aged men and women who were scared of hippies and black people. And party leaders would make up lies about civil rights and peace movement to really scare the straights. And it was all in good fun. 
Well, guess what? Everything's everything old is new again, fellas. Because <laughs> here's Republican Representative Aaron Cantor on his reaction to the Occupy Wall Street movement. I, for one, am increasingly concerned about the growing mobs occupying Wall Street and the other cities across the country. And believe it or not, some in this town have actually condoned the pitting of Americans against Americans. Bang. Old school people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eric Cantor, Mm -hmm. he's taking it back to when the majority whip actually used to whip people. Uh, That's what I like. Listen to the old world craftsmanship in there, Paul. Subtle cold like growing mobs and straw man arguments with plausible deniability. The pitting of Americans against Americans. You know, I say we give Eric Cantor another week and you're going to be hearing the word agitator. You know what I'm saying? As if uh, Wall Street didn't start the fight first by destroying everyone's 401k by taking advantage of deregulation. Yes. As As if they didn't launch the first shot across the bow. You know, when, when you have uh, close to 50 million Americans unemployed or underemployed, I'm going to say that the people who are in charge of the economy mm-hmm. might hold a little bit of that responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> he, he finds it hard to consider a movement or a protest American if there are no Hitler mustaches involved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, I'm, and if I remember correctly, his constituents are wealthy people that live in New York, correct? Uh, who Eric, Eric Cantor? Yeah, no, he? no, he's uh, he's. I think he's from South Carolina. Is oh, is he? he? Not? Yeah, he's from uh, he's from Virginia. Paul, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Peter King. Yeah, yeah. Was, uh, no, this yeah. is Eric Cantor from Virginia. He's a uh, Confederate Jew, which you don't <laughs> see very often. You don't see that very often. Yeah, no. Stars and bars. Yeah. <laughs> Star of David and bars. They well, tried to circumcise our country back in the 1800s. <laughs> You know uh, what you were saying before about uh, pitting Americans against Americans? It's called an election. Yeah. Where people compete. Yeah. <laughs> or a football game or any kind of yeah, where people or, are actually. Or where there's something where at in stake. The, where, well, where in the Constitution, Steve, does it give people the right to peacefully protest? <laughs> right. Which amendment said that? Yeah. Uh, it's the first one, I think. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, oh, it must yeah, have been oh, important. I should read it. Or it used to be. Peaceably. It used to be. Uh, so now let's move on. There's another. So we're, we, we're getting everyone's reaction to the, mm-hmm. to the Tea Partiers today. And uh, so that was Eric Cantor's reaction by pitting mm-hmm. America, growing mobs. It's, mm-hmm. it's funny when it's people who are uh, actually victims of this economy. When, when, mm-hmm. the, when the chickens come home to roost from the way we've mm-hmm. been running our economy, mm-hmm. outsourcing jobs, funneling money to the banks, which produce nothing. They're the ones Having friends police each other. Yeah. Friends that went to Yale together, uh, yeah. bailing each other out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. There's, yes. Well, there's more. To, well, we're going to get to all that. The 53 percenters. Have you heard about who they are? No. Oh, I've heard about them. Yeah. Okay. There's a, we're going to get to them in a little bit, but there is a, there is a website now started. Uh, I think it was by that guy um, who started redstate.com, Eric Erickson. Mm-hmm. And it's called the 53 percenters. Mm-hmm. And there and are people who, uh, it's their response to the 99 percenters. So they're, what they're saying is that they hold up pieces of paper. And it says things like, I work three jobs, my house is worth 60% less than when I bought it, and I don't blame Wall Street. Right. I'm like, well, you should be blaming Wall Street. That's exactly who's responsible for the crash of the housing. There's there. other people responsible, too, Democrats and Republicans that allowed deregulation to take place. Oh, no doubt. So what happened was Wall Street um, bought the government. They bought yes. the... Yes. So, it's so, so, yeah, but you definitely could... Your representatives that. are as... Guilty. Bill Clinton is as guilty as a- a- anybody else. Yes, very much so. 
But uh, okay, so let's move on to here's a uh, so so Eric Cantor would be like the regular a holes version of what the Occupy Wall Street guys. Now here's a super a hole response to the Wall Street. This is a uh, Republican strategist Ron Christie who goes on with oh, oh Ron Christie. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yes, right? I know, Mister Lazy Eye. Yes, African American. Uh, I, uh, I I when I get tired, I also have a lazy eye, so I have a soft spot for him. <laughs> but uh, here here is Ron Christie's. Here's his take on the Occupy Wall Street protesters. Well, it's pretty moving to see a large number of folks uh, protesting in the streets, Chris. I guess my first uh, emotional response is, I feel your pain. I understand where you're coming from, but go get a job. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are... <laughs> like these people are trying to get jobs! I know. That's the whole point of this, right? Ladies and gentlemen... Did I say lazy eye? I meant lazy mind. Yes. God! Damn it! Lazy everything. We are truly in a post-racial world, Paul, be- oh. because Archie Bunker is now a black man. <laughs> there it, it is. Sounds like a surfer Jesus. dude. Get a job. Wow. Never mind the ivory tower. I really don't get what the hell is going on nature of that statement. And try to try to appreciate the homage Chrissy is trying to pay to every middle-aged white guy who ever told a Vietnam-era protester to get a job. That's what he's doing. You know, and the irony to me is, you know, 90% of these right-wing ass are people that call themselves Christians who, and at the heart of the problem is they are not able to picture themselves in someone else's shoes or don't take the time to picture themselves in someone else's shoes. They just think they need to extrapolate their life onto somebody else's and say, well, why can't they get a great job in middle management like I do? I don't think it's even that, Paul. I think that Ron Christie is, it's not like he doesn't get it. I think he gets it, but he doesn't care. He's just going to carry water. You think he really puts himself in someone else's shoes and really no. pictures what they're, no, the no. effort that they might have to go through? Well, the Republicans, uh, you know, um, Boehner and all of them were saying before to Obama, where are the jobs? Where are the jobs? They're criticizing Obama because there's not a lot of jobs, but now that there's this protest, they're saying, "Hey, get a job." <laughs> there's plenty of jobs. Yeah, now, yeah. Now there's jobs plenty of jobs sudden. now. You know, so yes, that's very interesting. Good, very interesting take, Paul. <sighs> the other thing that I just want to say is these jobs that they're saying are available <laughs> don't pay a living wage. Right. Well, People when, cannot when the biggest even pay rent with what McDonald's pays them for a week. So the biggest employer, well, the biggest employer in the country is Walmart, right? So I mean, I mean, that's what we're kind of having a Walmart. Isn't they're the kind of driving force between the rich and poor society, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to come in. We're going to have everything made by slaves, and oh, it's cheap for you. But guess what? Your job's going to be gone too. And uh, so that's kind. Of, people are like, well, what's wrong with Walmart? Why can't what? Walmart's a great place to buy. It's a horrible place for your community. Right. It's yeah. for everyone's community. It's horrible yes. for everyone. It's, it's horrible everything for outside of when you buy something about right. Walmart is yeah. horrible. The only thing that, right, the only positive, it's like you can maybe save a few dollars, but yes. how are you saving a few dollars? It's like... It's it, costing you those dollars in a way that you don't see. Yeah, it's like... It, Right. It's like if you, you want to be around like in 1860, hey, you know, I'd say what you want. Cotton's cheap. <laughs> right. <laughs> Look at this shirt. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you $3. want $3. You, yeah, you can start splitting hairs over the fact that people don't get paid to get it, but it breathes. Why, why did people these... don't talk about how during the time of slavery there were great savings. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you know, we have we have savings. Now. We have those kind of slavery savings now. With mm-hmm. the you, know, you get your iPhone, you get your you know. Steve Jobs was not. Uh, he was smart about having mm-hmm. slaves make his stuff. And um, no, they were eye slaves. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so we got we got the subtle fear mongering uh, and classic dismissiveness. Right from Ron mm-hmm. Christie and mm-hmm. Eric Cantor, but what about that one old lady out there? You know, for who's sitting out there, but for who those arguments are too nuanced. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you know the old lady who sits by the radio and is too terrified of her own impending death, and how she's going to afford medication to really appreciate the idea of a secret cabal of people who don't want to work. Well, and to our friend Glenn Beck, I knew you were going to say him. Capitalists. If you think that you can play footsies with these people, you're wrong. They will come for you and drag you into the streets and kill you. <laughs> they will do it. They're not messing around. Those in the media, and I say this, I am included in this. They will drag us out into the streets and kill us. If you're wealthy, they will kill you for what you have. <laughs> Well, wow. so if you if you, if you could if you miss the subtlety of Ron Christie, wait a minute. Met- so they're too lazy to get jobs, but they'll right. go into people's houses Absolute. and pull them out into the street and Absolutely. kill them. Absolutely, you're starting. It seems to like understand. a lot of work. You're starting <laughs> like a lot yeah, of work. Yeah. That. Seems like it's easy to, to get kill a job. someone. It's harder to do <laughs> than it looks. Yeah. to kill someone and rob them. Uh, well, you know what is employed today? Today, what uh, is? paranoid delusions of grandeur? Oh, really? Yeah, apparently, that is. Uh, you're talking about Glenn Beck. Yeah, you're talking about. Okay. You know what Chris Christie's dismissive reaction to all this was? Uh, let me eat cake. He's a large man. A lot of cake. It's like, you know, it's Glenn Beck is, is, uh, is he's a fear monger for the postmodern conservative, you know? I, well, I like how he says, and, and people in the media, and I include myself in that, he has to keep reminding himself because he's, he's not really as much a part of the media as he was like six months ago. Right. He is a fear monger's fear monger. Yeah, he really Glenn is. Beck. He is. Uh, he's nuts and bolts, yeah. right? He he he's like a distri- he he's a total deconstructionist. He's like the Marcel Duchamp of douchebaggery. <laughs> <laughs> if I've heard that once, I've heard that a million. Times. I don't even know what that means. I don't know who Marcel Duchamp is. Okay, he was a Dadaist, and it's a mm. very the idea of the breaking everything down into its yes. elemental forms. See, whereas Ron Christie will say something elegant and pithy like "get a job," Glenn, <laughs> Glenn Beck just reduces it down to the raw core. They want to kill. Kill you and take your money. Yeah. There it is. It's, that's the beauty of Glenn Beck. There's something to be admired about a guy who was too crazy for Fox. There is. <laughs> there is. There is something about a guy who's too well, crazy. If, should, should something tragic ever happen uh, to, to Glenn Beck, something you will never hear somebody say is, we didn't see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> we do want to kill him. We're not going to, but we want to. Not, not because he's rich yeah. or anything. Uh, well... You know, I what I, I'm done. I got to go buy some gold and practice with my militia. So uh, <laughs> I don't have time to sit around and listen to talk show hosts. Themselves, they line up and grow up. 
To me, uh, three or four scenarios, because this can't last. One, one scenario is that it, it keeps growing as it has, unpredictably, uh, uh, with, with no end in sight. Two is somebody orders the, uh, uh, the police to crack down. I'm glad Mayor Bloomberg seems to be listening to the advice of his girlfriend who's on the board of that Zuccotti <laughs> Park uh, uh, Neighborhood Association. Uh, three, uh, uh, it escalates to um, civil disobedience and arrests, nonviolent, peaceful arrests on a scale uh, never known before. Probably in my lifetime, it would be, have to be 20,000 to 100,000. Wow. Uh, and and if, imagine, though, Keith, if t 10 or 20,000 people peacefully sat down in the streets in New York and said, if you don't do anything about uh, uh, Wall Street, arrest us. Right. And by the way, we're going to demand uh, uh, jury trials of our peers. The, the, whole, the whole system would break down and the message would not be uh, lost. Or a final scenario, of course, it's always possible at the last minute, uh, the president could uh, sense an emergency that requires action and do some things that he has not done before, things that he alone can do that are, uh, don't require the Senate or the House or uh, the dinosaur elements in Washington. One would be uh, uh, to end these wars. That would be a trillion and a half dollars. Two would be to uh, uh, let the Bush tax cuts for the rich expire. That's another trillion. Three would be to name uh, his own a special advisor on Wall Street reform and start appointing people and doing doing things within the executive branch and then four just lay down the gauntlet and say look folks I have tried uh, uh, with the Republicans in Congress hasn't gotten us anywhere this is going to be the campaign of 2012 mm -hmm. please give me a mandate uh, something will happen because uh, these encampments uh, will fester. Uh, the one in Los Angeles is interesting. It's not like New York. In LA, it's right up against City Hall. So you have the beautiful City Hall. The grass is now covered with, uh, uh, by my count yesterday, 250 tents, mm -hmm. 500 people. And it's just a, um, it's a circle of shame around the center of power. You, you can't go to City Hall on any business to get your development permit or your tax break or whatever it is you want without passing through these tents of people who are staring at you, who go into the building, who lobby, who go back out to rallies. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's quite serious, and it's amazing that um, the authorities haven't done anything negative, which is good, but also it's amazing that they've done nothing positive, which is kind of proves the point. The rain hits the ground and the trees and the dry
I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as five $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. I'm not normally the guy who brings you numbers. I bring you bitching. But in the interest of proof, here are some numbers to explain why the 99% are standing up in New York and Denver and D.C. and San Francisco and London, Boston, Montreal and Madison and about 2,000 other cities around the globe. In the 1970s, the top 1% took in 8 to 9% of America's total annual income. Today, they suck in 23.5%, according to truthout.org. 10% of Americans devour almost 50% of all wages, which is greater than any year since 1917, according to Professor Emanuel Saez at Berkeley. Do you have any idea how long ago that was, 1917? They were still using expressions like, like she's the bee's knees and shit. 74 of the richest people in the U.S. get paid $10 million a week. Not 74%, 74 of the richest Americans, which taken together is as much as 19 million of the lowest paid people in America. That's from the Huffington Post. Net worth of the richest Americans is $1.5 trillion, more than the combined net worth of the poorest 50% of the entire population, which is 155 million million people combined. That's from truthout.org. The top 1% of the population owns 70% of all assets, an all-time record according to David DeGraw. The top 1% also have over 85% of the world's biggest assholes according to me. But according to Fox News, the bottom 50% of this country is queer. So you can see it's all in the numbers. The wealth of this country is being increasingly pulled to a very few individuals at the top. And as we know from simple physics, things that are incredibly top-heavy collapse. All you have to do is think back to the 2003 Oscars when James Gandolfini rode on Natalie Portman's shoulders down the red carpet. The awards show was ultimately canceled so the construction crews could dig Portman out of the pavement. And for those of you who argue that it benefits America to have hugely successful corporations, you do understand they aren't going to stay here once they've eaten everything. I think Dylan Radigan put it best on MSNBC when he said America is being extracted, while we all sit around distracted by petty political squabbling and celebrity nonsense. America's resources are being sucked out of it, like a ping pong ball into a Thai lady boy. And it's happening to a lot of other countries too, because corporations and those who run them have no moral code or allegiance outside of money. 
They never think they should behave a certain way because it's good for the country or good for the people. They don't say the Pledge of Allegiance before they lay off 10,000 workers or eat apple pie before purchasing 100,000 acres in Utah to clear cut. They don't have a big foam hand that says USA is number one on it. And if they do, it says Dubai is number one on the reverse side in case they need to pick up and move at a moment's notice. The ultra-rich in Mexico don't have sombreros that say Mexico rocks. And the corporation in, corporations in England don't wear t-shirts that say God save the queen. Instead, they say God save the green. And for those of you now thinking, but their money isn't green, fuck you, I had to make the joke work, alright? God save the pinky purple bits of paper doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? We have created absolute monsters that are sucking all remaining wealth and resources from our land. Some of them don't even create anything. They just suck and suck and suck like Eddie Murphy movies. These corporations haven't been good in any way since the late 1980s like Eddie Murphy. So at least think about these facts when the media is telling you how fucking furious you should be that the Occupy Wall Street protesters in your area are holding up a big sign with a curse word in it. Oh, God forbid. This weekend, in cities and towns around the country, people will be joining the Occupy Wall Street movement, which shows no signs of abating. Quite the contrary. It's hit a popular nerve. People understand in their gut that Wall Street has the power, and they don't. They've been fleeced by the top 1%, and they know it. And when banks start charging $5 for using debit cards, it only reinforces our sense of being ripped off. This is a mass movement, and it won't be squelched by the corporate media's neglect or by the right wing's ridicule. And it's not the left-wing version of the Tea Party either. I don't buy that. The Tea Party was the invention of the Koch brothers and Dick Army and Fox News. It was astroturf, at least at first, and it was continually fueled top-down by corporate money. By contrast, the Occupy Wall Street movement's been real grassroots from the very start. Spontaneous, horizontal, organized through social networks, and democratic to its core. It embodies the slogan Obama appropriated from the late great poet June Jordan. We are the people we've been waiting for. Well, this is the movement, and this is the moment we've been waiting for. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
ABC's This Week had one of its routinely right-leaning panels on October 10th to talk about, among other things, Occupy Wall Street. The panel featured three different strains of conservatives, former Bush advisor Matthew Dowd, This Week fixture George Will, and columnist Peggy Noonan, along with Democratic pundit Donna Brazil. But then host Christiane Amanpour actually interviewed someone involved with Occupy Wall Street, Daily Coast blogger Jesse LaGreca. He is perhaps best known as the guy who was interviewed by Fox News Channel at the protest and took the chance to bash Fox News Channel. And he did media criticism on This Week as well. And I think the most important thing we can do in our occupation is to continue to push the narrative that's been ignored by so many pundits and political leaders. I mean, the reality is I'm the only working class person you're going to see on Sunday news, political news, maybe ever. And I think that's very indicative of the failures of our media to report on the news that matter most to working we class We are media. trying our best, Jesse, and I want and to... I thank you. <laughs> This week should get points for actually featuring someone who, one, represents the working class, and two, who actually speaks for the Occupy Wall Street demonstrators. But if this week is really trying its best, as Amanpour claims, well, that's kind of sad. Elsewhere on the Sunday chat show circuit, some shows weren't even trying. On NBC's Meet the Press, host David Gregory discussed the Occupy Wall Street movement with Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Gregory's question to Emanuel expressed concern over activist choice of targets. Quote, the president has sympathized with those protesters in the street. Is demonizing Wall Street the way to create an environment to get the banks to hire? Close quote. Had Gregory chosen to interview one of the Occupy Wall Street activists, he might have learned something about their true concerns, which do not include banks not doing enough hiring. Instead, he chose to ask Rahm Emanuel, who, between his various political gigs, made $18 million in two and a half years working as an investment banker. It was a job for which he had no qualifications except his extensive political connections. In other words, Emmanuel made a fortune in the sort of insider crony capitalism that is among the demonstrators' actual concerns. So we've already told you about how the Republicans all of a sudden are saying, oh yeah, Occupy Wall Street and that movement, I totally can relate to it, and Obama screwed the 99%. Oh, come on, give me a break, right? Like the Republicans are on the side of the non-bankers. It's nonsense, right? But at the same time, here come the Democrats. So President Obama is saying, oh, yeah, Wall Street. Wall Street, what name so? It's, oh, no, I'm against those guys, yeah. In fact, Washington Post has a story out about how they're going to run the whole campaign against Wall Street. Now, I have a couple of things to say about that. First, of course, 
You should have been doing that all along, but you shouldn't have been doing it just in rhetoric. You should have been doing it in reality. You should have said, here's how we're going to check your ass, okay? We're going to make sure we split out the investment banks from the commercial side. We're going to make sure that you're not leveraged to the hilt so that you're all going to collapse at some point. I mean, you know I've gone over it a million times, all the things he could have done and didn't do. But now that the campaign is on, what did I tell you? I told you all of a sudden he was going to be Mr. Progressive, right? So here comes Mr. Progressive. And why did they realize all of a sudden that they should even start talking about this in the press? Why has it gotten this deep? Because of a Washington Post ABC News poll. Now, first of all, you saw they saw the protests all across the country. That made a huge difference. Now, the poll, that's the second big difference. What does it say? 68% of independents have an unfavorable impression of the big financial institutions. 68% of independents. Remember, the Obama people are obsessed with independence. Who cares about the left? Who cares? We're not going to do anything for them. But independents, we love them. They're what decide elections. Well, it turns out they don't like the big banks. I don't know if like a light bulb went over their head. They're like, really? We thought they loved Wall Street. Huh, golly gee willikers. Or there's a more harsh reality to this. But one more thing about the poll. 60% of Republicans said they have an unfavorable impression of the big financial institutions. So even the Republican voters aren't in favor of Wall Street. And again, it's not to shut down the banks, it's to make sure that they're tightly regulated so they don't destroy our entire economy, right? So now, why is the Obama people doing this? Are they stupid? Do they not realize how much people were angry with Wall Street before? Well, frankly, that is a possibility. But I think much more likely is they said, hey, you know what? We're going to get the best of both worlds. For three years, we're not going to regulate them. We're going to do cosmetic differences and hope no one notices it and call it historic financial reform, right? That way we get all the banker money in donations. And right now, Obama's already raised over $100 million. Now, it's not all from the banks by a long shot, but a lot of it is. And $65 million uh, uh, to the DNC already, right? So they get all that money in, then when they need the votes, they need both. They need the money and the votes. They get the money, then they turn around to the voters and go, oh yeah, well I never liked those guys in the first place. Yeah, I'm totally on your side. Where are we occupying? Let's go, right? So here are some of the quotes. David Plunk, his top strategist, says, we intend to make it one of the central elements of the campaign next year. One of the main elements of the contrast will be that the president passed Wall Street reform and our opponent and the other party want to repeal it. Now that's half true. The Republicans totally want to repeal it. They don't want any checks on Wall Street. But the other half about how we did historic reform is a joke. They still can do any leverage that they like. They still, we don't know what their derivatives are at all. They're not open in public. They're not regulated at all. So it's an attempt to half deceive you. The other guys are worse. Unfortunately, this administration hasn't been that great. And uh, so here comes uh, Van Jones to regulate. And remember, Van Jones used to be inside the White House and is very reluctant to criticize the Obama administration. But even he says, the fact that Obama has been so close to Wall Street makes this tough going for him. Absolutely true. And now, uh, one of the things that Obama has decided to focus on, and a lot of the politicians have, is the Bank of America $5 debit card fee. And because they think, oh, you know what? This is the real problem. But wait a minute. Look, I don't. I hate that fee, all right? And I know it bothers a lot of people. But that isn't the real problem. We didn't crash the economy in 2008 because of a debit card fee. That debit card fee didn't even exist, right? Why are they focusing on that? One, they think it's popular. So I'm against that five bucks that you and your aunt are being charged. And number two, it leads you away from the real problem. Yeah, worry about the debit card fee and we can get that solved for you. Don't worry about the derivatives. 
but the derivatives are the 98% of the problem. That's why the politicians, including Obama, focus on the wrong side of it. And he says, quote, that's exactly the sort of stuff that folks are frustrated by. Yeah, they might be a little frustrated by that, but we're much more frustrated by the economic collapse that happened in 2008 that cost how many million jobs? 11 million jobs? That was much more frustrating, and it had nothing to do with debit card fees. It had everything to do with out-of-control, unregulated derivatives. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at Majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm. If you had any doubt about the seriousness of the Occupy Wall Street movement that's springing up from America's grassroots like hardy wildflowers, just note the frantic fulminations against it by assorted Wall Street toadies. The corporate cheerleaders on CNBC, for example, reached back to the nasty days of McCarthyism to smear the youthful protesters as, quote, aligned with Lenin. Little Eric Cantor, the House Majority Leader who loyally serves the banksters as their Washington lapdog, yapped in alarm about the growing mobs occupying Wall Street. Then came Mitt Romney, himself a former Wall Streeter, to warn darkly against the protesting rabble, I think it's dangerous, this class warfare. Even more clueless is Herman Cain. Previously the CEO of Godfather's Pizza Chain, who's now running for president, he can't stop foaming at the mouth about the Wall Street occupation. Anti-American, he labeled the protesters, later blasting them as losers who are jealous of successful people. Don't blame Wall Street, he lectured. If you don't have a job and you're not rich, blame yourself. To put the icing on his half-baked cupcake of ignorance, Cain then expressed his deep understanding of economics. To protest Wall Street and the bankers is basically saying you're anti-capitalism, he expounded. A plutocratic theory that America's millions of conservative small business capitalists would consider perverse. But wait, there are more Keynesms. These demonstrations, he complained, I honestly don't understand. What are they looking for? This is Jim Hightower saying, gosh, Godfather, if you have to ask a question like that, you're way too out of touch to be president. What we're looking for are such old-fashioned American fundamentals, by which I mean economic fairness, social justice, and equal opportunities for all. That's what America stands for.
most important movements in the history of this country. That's because this country was established as a democracy. That meant that we the people were to govern. And that those who represent us in Washington are only there by the will of the people. Every single public opinion poll shows that the vast majority of American people agree with us here in Liberty Plaza. Wisconsin protest against Governor Walker, I discussed how the protesters were being called dirty or unclean. And now here we are again, the same attack on courageous protesters demonstrating what democracy really looks like. How is it that this same attack could be used so regularly? Well, the systematic breaking down of protest movements by the powerful and the mindless is not new. And they're using the same tired playbook they've used for ages. That pathetic playbook is so old, tattered, and torn, it looks like the playboy you hid under your bed when you were 12. The media has some sort of Tourette syndrome where they immediately call protesters dirty, like the Cubs blaming Steve Bartman for a recent loss a mere eight years after he's ever shown his face in public. But yes, you've heard about the Occupy Wall Street protesters being dirty again and again. They aren't clean. And I'm going to say the same thing I said months ago. The funny thing about protesting, the dismantling of our society by the greedy and the fake tanned, it hardly ever happens near a 24-hour dry cleaner and an exfoliation station. It's almost never in someone's living room over wine and cheese with your shoes off so as not to sully the carpet or the labradoodle. We're out there because what we're protesting for is more important than a daily shower with fragrant shower gel and a light shampoo ball waxing in the morning. And it's even more important than 
wait for it, money. Because most of us are not out there because we don't have a job. We're out there because our brothers or cousins or neighbors or kids don't have a job and won't have a future. But still, we're called slobs. By this definition, you know who else were slobs? The soldiers in World War II. I heard they slept in the mud. The astronauts. I hear they almost never shower or have a Swedish dry skin treatment for as much as a month at a time. The civil rights protesters. I heard they bled on each other without bathing. The only reason they got cleaned off was because considerate, racist citizens and police officers saw that they were slobs and turned fire hoses on them. It was a compassionate power washing of the people. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that almost everything great and noble and impassioned that's ever happened in this country has happened while dirty. People rescuing neighbors after Hurricane Katrina, filthy. MLK Jr. during his I Have a Dream speech, grimy for marching. JFK while banging Marilyn Monroe, sticky. George W. Bush forging his way through my pet goat despite obstacles as immense as an attack on this country, covered in flop sweat. So everybody worried that the protesters are dirty. I suggest you grab a sham wow and some OxyClean because we're spilling our blood, sweat, and tears to try to salvage this democracy from political hypocrisy and corporate sodomy and scrubbing behind our ears isn't at the top of the list at the moment. Car was towed at nine this morning. Minneapolis, I need more warning. Rest of the city, this part of town is awfully filthy cleaner, the street cleaner. Making this dinner was never as difficult. We don't have the option to go out as often. We were going to clean up. Chris Hedges is a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, reporter. He's going to go on CBC here, so you would expect on Canadian television that they'd be fair and, and decent reporting, right? But they, he's got a guy named Kevin O'Leary who's uh, apparently not in that camp. Look, he's got an opinion. I got an opinion. I hear you. He does a very aggressive interview here. I'm not sure it was the right format for it, but understand Kevin O'Leary in the past is a guy who says that the unions uh, should be illegal and that their members should be put in jail. So that's where he's coming from, and you're going to be able to tell right away in the beginning of this interview. Watch this confrontation. So what, what exactly is everybody complaining about? And is, to also give me a, a sense of how much momentum this movement has, because it looks pretty nothing burgers so far. Just a few guys, guitars, nobody knows what they want. They can't even name the names of the firms that they're protesting against. Very weak, low budget. I wouldn't agree with that assessment at all. Uh, they pulled thousands of people uh, into the street last night. Uh, and uh, here in Washington, when everybody marched past Bank of America, they knew they were shouting shame, shame, shame. They know the names of these firms, and they know what these firms have done, not only to the American economy, but to the global economy and the criminal class who runs them. Oh, I love that. So since they don't have a lot of money, well, then they must be wrong. You missed the whole point of the protest. They're protesting the people with all the money controlling our government. And he's like, oh, well, if they don't have money, they must be a nothing burger. 
Okay. And then Chris Hedges comes in and goes, they know exactly what they're talking about. Of course they do. They're protesting people like you who want to hand over all the power to the banks and not give uh, any of us a representative government. So uh, Chris Hedges is going to explain it a little bit better here. They know precisely what they want. Uh, they want to reverse the corporate coup that's taken place in the United States and render the citizenry impotent. Uh, and they won't stop until that happens. And frankly, uh, if we don't break the back of corporations, we're all finished anyway, since they're rapidly trashing the ecosystem on which the human species depends for survival. Um, this is literally a fight for life. Uh, it's that grave, it's that serious. Corporations on fettered capitalism, as Karl Marx understood, is a revolutionary force. It commodifies everything, human beings, the natural world, which it exploits for profit until exhaustion or collapse. And uh, the bottom line is we don't have much time left. We are on the cusp of perhaps another major banking crisis in Europe, uh, defaults in Greece, followed by Spain, Portugal. Uh, there's been no restrictions, no regulations of Wall Street. They've looted the U.S. Treasury. Uh, they've played all the games uh, that they were playing before. Uh, and, uh, and we're about to pay for it all over again. See, there it is. How simple was that? He's worried about a corporate coup taking over our government. How many times do we have to explain it to you? It isn't that there are corporations or that there are banks. The problem is that they have run away and bought all of our politicians through their funding and twisted all the rules to gain an unfair advantage. That's what we're all worried about. But apparently O'Leary's a little too thick to get it. But you want to talk about not getting it. Look at what O'Leary says next. Listen, don't take this the wrong way, but you sound like a left-wing nut bar. If you want to shut down every corporation, every bank, where are you going to get a job? Where are you going to work? Where's the economy going to go? Uh, corporations don't produce anything. And, uh, oh, really? No. Are you driving, corporations a, car? On are you Wall driving a car to the protest? No, it's spec they are speculators. Uh, I'm talking about the financial institutions like Goldman Sachs. They don't manufacture, they don't make anything, they gamble. Uh, they, they use money, uh, and, and they believe falsely that money is real as we, dis, as we dismantle our manufacturing base and send jobs uh, over the border to Mexico and finally into the embrace of China. Left-wing nut bar. That had to be my favorite. <laughs> I wonder what I am. I don't know if I'm a whole left-wing cake. I don't know. But so he's like, well, what, what? I'm just doing an interview here. You left-wing nut bar. You're a nothing burger. What? Did I, did I say something offensive? I was just asking questions. So again, for the millionth time, it's not that they're against all corporations. Is Kevin O'Leary really that dumb? Or does he think, like, <laughs> I'll trick the audience by thinking that these people want no business whatsoever. We want to shut down all the businesses in the country and in all of North America. Absurd. I, I don't usually go on shows where people descend to character assassination. If you want to discuss issues, that's fine. But, I mean, this sounds like Fox News, and I don't go on Fox News. I mean, either you discuss the issues, and, look, you have had very eloquent writers, people like John Ralston Saul in Canada, who have laid this out. Uh, with you know incredible lucidity and to somehow attack this critique by calling someone a nutcase engages in the kind of trash talk that's polluted the corporate airways excuse me let's debate the issues then you well, would you, like you, to you were the one who started it I, you were I not didn't debating call you issues. a nutcase I called you a nutbar you said bar, you sounded right? like a left-wing nutcase yes bar, okay that's bar. an insult and, hey, and are you are you left-wing and leaning at least would you say 
No, I would say that... You're a centrist? Can I finish? Please. What do you think? Has this been a little antagonistic? Of course! Obviously it's antagonistic! But Chris Hedges is going to give him a little bit of truth here. Okay, but you don't see any value in the banking system providing a financial infrastructure... That's not what I said. I I'm didn't asking say that. you. I'm asking you. A, a banking system that functions as a banking system should. And in Canada, you do not have a banking crisis because you did not tear down the walls between commercial and investment banks and turn all of your banks into hedge funds. If instead of handing massive sums of money to Citibank, Wells Fargo, which are, are basically zombie banks, they, they, they still hold tremendous toxic assets. Instead, they're just sitting on the capital and not lending it. Well, that was my favorite part of what Chris said, because what a great irony there. Because in, in Canada, the banks are very tightly regulated. The reason that they have been sound and safe, and why there aren't tremendous protests in Canada over an out-of-control banking system, is that they regulate the risk, how much risk they can take, and most importantly, they separate out customers' money from investment banking uh, speculative trading that the banks are doing. So they can't speculate with your money. That's what Canada is doing right and what the U.S. is doing wrong and why our economy collapsed. So here's a Canadian broadcaster basically saying, oh, what's the matter with you? Why are you following our example? Or why do you want to follow our example while, you know, while I don't want you to, I want you to go in the bad way, in the bad direction of the U.S. And then finally, here's a part that I disagree with Chris a little bit, although it's a fun little ending to the interview. Just so we can come full circle, what do you suggest should be done with Goldman Sachs specifically? Pro they should be prosecuted. When you shove subprime mortgages on families that you know can't repay it, and then you dice up those mortgages as assets and sell them and bet against them through AIG, uh, that's fraudulent activity. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'd like to hear well, your it'll thoughts. Be the, it'll be the last time. Hello, my name is Amy Rose Bush, and I'm so happy to be leaving you a message. My car is decorated. I'm driving and protesting at the same time. I have gotten a grease pen for $3 at Walmart, and I think everyone should. And, well, where you buy it wherever you want, but um, I just have Democrats plus Republicans equals 99% and Unite and uh, Occupy Orlando, November the 5th. Uh, because I live in Florida and I'm going to that event and I think everyone should know. I am taking some family members and I'm looking forward to it and I just, I hadn't heard anyone mention writing on their cars and I think this would be a good time to do that. So that's all and your show rocks. I love it so hard. Talk to you later. Bye. Before you hear the next voicemail, let me give you the context and say that Ted is a former coworker of mine and an absolute badass. I'll just give you a couple of bookends to his career that I'm familiar with. First of all, I believe he started his activism career protesting the Vietnam War, including such acts as breaking into draft offices to steal and destroy individuals' draft cards. So pretty badass and has basically been a professional activist ever since, including up uh, up to a, just a couple of years ago, he went on and listen carefully, a 25 day 
water only fast to bring attention to the need for congressional action on climate change. You hear, no, no, 25 days of nothing but water. And, and then he would have a little bit of salt to keep his uh, central nervous system from shutting down. Absolutely the most impressive, you know, activist for social justice in every field you can imagine that I've ever seen or met or, uh, or anything. That's the caliber of person you're about to hear from. And I've known him for a few years and I can attest that what you're about to hear is about as excited as he ever sounds. So don't let his tone fool you. Uh, this is important stuff. Have a listen. This is Ted Glick from the Chesapeake Climate Action Network. There is a major demonstration that is happening on November 6th in Washington, D.C. Thousands of people will be encircling the White House, calling upon President Obama to do the right thing, begin to break our addiction to oil, and say no to the tar sands Keystone XL pipeline that the company TransCanada wants to build, a 1,700-mile pipeline across the middle of the country carrying a very corrosive and very bad form of energy, uh, tar sands oil. You can find out more at www.tarsandsaction.org. Help us defeat this dirty energy fossil fuel pipeline. Thank you. Hey, Jay. This is Ryan from New York. And I just finished listening to your last show, which covered more of the Occupy Wall Street movement, uh, which I've been down to myself uh, the past few weekends. Uh, just at the end of the episode, you, you just went off quoting Steve Jobs. Like, why? He's like the antithesis of everything that the Wall Streeters would be against. He's a capitalist who exploited workers uh, here and elsewhere. I, I don't understand the praising. I mean, it's, I don't know if you were necessarily praising, but I don't understand how you could like quote him and feel comfortable an analogizing his quotes with your sentiment. Like, you shouldn't even be reading it. Not, not that I'm telling you what you should or shouldn't be doing, but I just can't grasp why you would even be interested in reading about such a man i mean yeah he's not he's not bill gates but still this this is a man who you know made money off of exploiting the many uh, he is part of the few creative or no creative i just don't see a need for anyone to be praising the death of steve jobs so if you could explain to me and the rest of the audience why you felt the need to quote him at the end of this past show it would be much appreciated i still love the podcast jay been a long time listener since 08 maybe before then and uh i'll continue to listen but that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way and i had to share thanks keep up the good work man thanks for listening everyone and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line if you would like to leave a comment question or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show the number to dial is 206-202-3410 so yeah on steve jobs this is this is interesting i wonder how many people uh how many regular listeners saw the correlation between that voicemail and the Mumia Abu-Jamal uh, discussion as quickly as I did. Um, if, if, you, if you saw the connection, then you already know what my answer is to this, which is that you don't have to like anything about Steve Jobs 
to appreciate that he's a smart guy who has interesting things to say. And specifically, you know, the quotes I used from him had nothing to do with any of the aspects of his personality that Ryan picked out to, uh, to discredit him, basically. So you don't have to change a single opinion you may have of Steve Jobs or a, a person like Steve Jobs to, to still be able to say he's a smart guy who knows a thing or two about creativity or he knows a thing or two about uh, making good decisions and saying no to good ideas, enabling him to say yes to, to good or great ideas. And, uh, and then the, the last – I mean I only used uh, like three quotes of his. And the last was basically like, follow your dreams. And so to me, it seemed like Ryan's uh, you know, argument in that voicemail against me using Steve Jobs was uh, completely discounted any of the context. It's like, oh, you know, if Steve Jobs says that you should follow your dreams, well, then that's obviously wrong because he's an evil plutocrat. And I just thought, well, that's kind of missing the point. Um, on top of all this, I want to dive into something that I've never really talked about on the show before, which is uh, that I think a lot of people are missing the point when it comes to protesting corporations in general and, and you know the people who run them. So a lot of people who are very supportive of this show are also very supportive of the U.S. uncut movement, that, and they were basically protesting – uh, corporations for uh, tax evasion, if, if I mean, you know, but like legal tax evasion, where they were hiding their money overseas or, or things along those lines. And I just really never brought it up much, didn't talk about it. But I'm going to say something that may irritate those people who are supportive of the show, which is to say that I always thought that movement was kind of missing the point, because to me, protesting a corporation who uses the U.S. tax code to avoid paying taxes is kind of like protesting a tailpipe or like protesting a light bulb for coming on when you should really be protesting the use of uh, you know, oil and the use of coal to generate electricity. You see where I'm going with this? Uh, you know, protesting a corporation that uses the laws that are in place is, is – going after the symptoms when you need to be going after the cause. What Jenk from the Young Turks says regularly, which I wholeheartedly agree with, is that corporations are not immoral entities. They are amoral. They simply they, they don't have the capacity to feel shame. They don't have the capacity to have any moral uh, pressure put on them. So protesting them and people power against corporations has no effect whatsoever. You know, the, the, the people who run corporations have the capacity to feel, you know, a moral obligation in one way or another. But if they were to act on those, um, those morals that they have, the corporation would reject them. <laughs> it, 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 would, it would kick them out of their position of power, whatever it may be, and insert someone who is willing to do that work without the moral implications. So uh, – and, and this is only in reference to corporations that are publicly traded because it uh, – something called fiduciary responsibility comes into play. So let's go back to the example of, of Steve Jobs and let's say, OK, for the sake of argument, we'll just – we'll say absolutely Apple uses foreign sweatshop labor to produce uh, their products. Well, if they did not do that, then their shareholders would have the ability to sue the company for not maximizing profits in every way they could. And so, of course, my opinion is not that 
that's the system we have and so that's okay, clearly it means the system is broken. And so protesting the symptoms doesn't do anything when what you need to be doing is going after the, the systemic problems. So that's why US Uncut didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but Occupy Wall Street does. And it's ringing a, a, a lot more true to me because they seem to be going after completely upending the system. They're going after the root of the problem rather than the symptoms. So those are my thoughts on that. And I've genuinely never heard a counter argument to anything I just said. Uh, so if there is one, I would be glad to hear it. Give us a call 206-202-3410. And so for now, I'm just going to thank a couple of members who make the show possible. Chris M signed up for a leftist yearly membership back on January 5th. And uh, Amanda M, no relation, signed up for a monthly membership on even earlier than that on December 17th and has stuck with the show ever since then. So huge thanks to Chris and Amanda and all the members and donors who make the show possible. I could not do it without you guys. Everyone can help spread the word just by telling everyone you know about the show, helping spread individual clips through your social networks. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us directly on Facebook and Twitter or for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode. All that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every three days. Thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. Apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to be A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor